God in heaven, we, we ask that you would help us to, to trust you, to trust your word to us, to trust that your way for us is the good way for us that leads to true life. Lord, through your word today, would you please show us the things that distract us, the obstacles that are in our way, the, the things along the broad and wide path that seem more attractive to us than you? Would you show us these things and help us to turn around and to follow your narrow way that leads to life? Amen. So today, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at the story of a young man who's come to be known as the rich young ruler. Some of Jesus' stories or the stories about Jesus have a, a way of finding their way into our consciousness. And this is one of those familiar stories where we hear about a man who comes to Jesus um, through the three different stories of the Gospels. Uh, we find out that he is both rich, that he's young, and that he's a ruler, someone in authority in some way. So we've come to call him the rich young ruler. And he comes to ask Jesus, what can I do next to inherit eternal life? And uh, over the course of the conversation, Jesus eventually gives him a challenge. He says to him, go and sell all of your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the man goes away sad because he has a lot of possessions and he knows that he can't do that. And Jesus then says this famous phrase that it's easier for a rich man, uh, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. We're looking at these last few chapters of the book of Matthew between now and Resurrection Sunday in April. And I've been turning our attention to one of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount from way back in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus talks about the narrow way and the wide gate, the narrow road and the wide road. The narrow road leads to life and the wide road leads to destruction. And as I opened Matthew back up a couple of months ago to begin looking at these last chapters and thinking about what God had to say to us through it, uh, that teaching of the, the narrow way and the, the wide way came back to my mind. Because in these stories, it seems to me that Jesus over and over again calls people to a narrow way. Last week, we looked about the topic of sex. This week, we're talking about money. Next week, we're going to look at a story where the disciples want authority or power. Jesus, I would like to sit on your left, and my friend here wants to sit on your right when you come into your kingdom. So we've got sex and money and power, back to back to back, that Jesus addresses those problems that we face in our lives, and in every situation, he calls people to a narrow way. He calls people to a hard way, but a way that leads to life. So this rich young ruler comes to Jesus with a question. Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and tells him that he needs to choose the narrow way. I'd like to read the story for us. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? 
Why do you ask me what, about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, Well, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake— will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So this young man, this rich young ruler, has been a success in every way that the world defines success. He's young and he's already accumulated a lot of wealth. He's a ruler. We find out in, I think it's the Gospel of Mark, that tells us that he's a ruler. He has some sort of authority. We, we don't know what that means or what he has authority over, but he has some sort of status in society. And the Bible doesn't say so, but he was probably really good-looking too. So all of that. He's come to be known as the rich young ruler. Youth, money, power. Those are three things that our culture really idolizes, right? Youth and money and power, and this guy has all of it. And not only that, but it just seems like he's just a really good guy too. He's been a good religious man. In response to Jesus's, uh, this man's question, Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, don't lie, obey your parents, love your neighbor as yourself. And the man responds, I've done all of these things. And Jesus doesn't call him a liar. He accepts it. This man has kept the commandments. Not only is this man wealthy, a man of authority, probably really good looking. Not only is he a success in the eyes of the world, but he's a good religious guy too. He's kept the commandments. But in spite of all his success, in spite of all his goodness, he knows that there's still something missing. He is not fully content. He knows that there's something missing. His discontent in his heart brings him to the feet of Jesus. 
And this is such a common story, isn't it, in our culture? If you listen to those who are wealthy or who have celebrity or who have made it to the top in whatever field or sport or whatever they're in, they often will tell us in their honest moments that what they have gained and acquired has not made them content. The thing that they thought would bring them to that place of peace hasn't done the job. Our hearts were made for God, and they will be restless until they rest in God. And that's the situation with this rich young ruler. He is still restless. He literally has it all, and yet he is discontent. There is still more. And he has heard about this man named Jesus. He heard that Jesus has come to his town, and he goes and he runs to him. The Gospel of Mark says that that this man ran to Jesus' feet to ask him this question. The picture that we get of this man in this story is that he is eager and that he is sincere and that he is earnest. He really does want to do what is right. And he also knows there's still something missing in his life. And so he finds Jesus. He runs to Jesus, falls on his knees and asks him, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at this man and he is able to see that there is one thing that this man lacks. And for this man, what was getting in the way was his wealth and possessions. It was all of the things that he had worked for, all of the things that he had earned on his own. And so Jesus, in his kindness and in his love, sees this man right where he is, sees the obstacle that is in his way, and he offers him the only way to receive the life that he's looking for. Jesus tells him to take the narrow way. Sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Often when we read this passage of scripture, maybe in our own devotionals or in a Bible study, and I've been in a few Bible studies where this has happened, we ask this question, is this command for me? Am I supposed to give everything and give to the poor? Is this what Jesus is asking for all of us? We kind of try to figure out a way to weasel out from underneath this difficult command that Jesus is giving to us. And I think we need to really allow the challenge of this text to hit us rather than to try to figure out all of the loopholes to get out of it. I think we need to listen to this text and what Jesus is saying to this rich man and to ask, what is it saying to me? What is it saying to me? Here's the truth. If you have a warm and dry place to sleep tonight and food in your refrigerator, you are one of the wealthiest people in the world and definitely one of the wealthiest people in the history of the world, and that is most of us here. I don't want to in any way make light of any of your own personal financial struggles. Those are very real, and those are problems that are very real for you in your life. But the truth is, most of us, materially speaking, are wealthier than King Solomon ever dreamed of being. We are wealthier than this rich young ruler. This morning, I drank coffee from South America. I hopped in a car today that, if I wanted to, could get me hundreds of miles, thousands of miles in just a couple of days. I ate food this week that was cheap. Yes, it's still cheap. It was fast, it was convenient, and it was mostly healthy for me. And at the very least, I didn't have to worry about whether or not it was rancid and still good, because I have refrigeration and a freezer in my house. 
I have a device in my pocket that allows me to communicate back and forth with people instantaneously that live thousands of miles away. Messages like that used to take years to get back and forth from one another. We have so much. We have a lot of wealth. We have a lot of possessions. And the persistent message in the Bible is not that wealth is bad or evil. It's that wealth is deceptive. It's that wealth is deceptive. That is the consistent message about wealth and money throughout the scriptures in the book of Proverbs, in Jesus' teaching, in Paul's teaching, that wealth is deceptive. If you remember Jesus' parable of the soils that he tells earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, he talks about that sower of the seed that went out and sowed seed on the ground, and some of it fell on, on, um, on hard ground, some of it fell on ground where there were lots of thorns and thistles, and other fell on good ground, and that seed that fell on good ground grew to a, a great crop. The seed that fell among the thorns and thistle, thistles, Jesus says that those thorns and those thistles, those weeds, are the concerns of life and wealth that is so deceptive. Paul says in one of his letters that there are many people who have grown to love money and that the love of that money has pierced them with many griefs. Money, wealth, having lots of possessions can deceive us into thinking that we are independent, that we are safe And in the end, it can deceive us into thinking that we do not need God. The wealth that most of us possess here in our country immediately puts us on the wide road that leads to destruction. In America, we're kind of born on the wide road. And there are some decisions then that we need to make about our money and our possessions. Because if we don't make those decisions and repent and turn around, we will continue on that wide road quite naturally. There's a decisions that need, need to be made. Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is hard for Americans to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for you to enter the kingdom of God. So rather than trying to weasel our way out of the weight of this difficult story, I think we need to feel the weight of it, to feel the challenge that Jesus offers to this man, not to crush ourselves under the the weight of guilt because of our wealth and possessions, but instead to notice, to notice, to feel the weight of this story so that we will notice all of the ways that we may have allowed our wealth and our possessions to deceive us. Because it's easy to believe that it's those things are the things that keep us safe, the things that will make us happy, the things that will give us meaning and purpose in our life. Jesus wants what is best for you. He wants what is best for this man. And Jesus looks at this man, this good and this successful man, this righteous man who is eager to experience eternal life, real eternal life. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus looks at this man and he loved him. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And this is the the truth about walking with Jesus. For those who walk with Jesus, who are sincere in following him, he will always lead you away from those things that are not good for you and will lead you more and more to him because he loves you. 
And Jesus is not willing to leave this man where he is. As good as he is in the world's eyes, as successful as he is, he's not willing to leave him that way because he sees in this man someone whose wealth and success has led him to believe that he doesn't need anyone, that he is independent. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's the man's question. How can I earn this thing called eternal life? What other thing can I accomplish? Jesus, I have accomplished all of the other things, but this one thing is missing. So what can I do in order to accomplish it? And Jesus says to him, you don't need to accomplish anything. What you need to do is surrender and fully commit yourself to me. Complete Allegiance to Jesus. That is the one thing that this man lacks. That is the answer to this man's question. How do we inherit eternal life? Come and follow Jesus. This is the only person in all of the Gospels that we're told leaves Jesus going away sad. Others go away with joy, others go healed, but this man goes away sad. And our NIV translation here doesn't really get at how sad this man really was. So this is deep grief and disappointment. This man was cut to the heart. The Greek word here describing this man's emotions as he leaves Jesus is the same Greek word that describes Jesus's grief in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he, he sweated blood. Jesus in the garden was so grieved because he was about to go through the, this experience of his identity as being the son of the father, that he would experience the feeling as if that relationship had been broken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why Jesus was so grieved in the garden, because he felt that his whole identity as he hung there and bore our sin on the cross, that his identity as the good and perfect son of the father was going to be stripped from him as he bared the sin, our sin on the cross. This is the kind of sadness and grief this, that this rich young ruler experiences. The reason that this man is so grieved is because Jesus asks him to give up his identity, what he has put his faith and trust in. For this man, losing his money, losing his wealth, losing his status and his reputation would have meant losing himself, losing everything that he had built for himself, losing everything that he had, that had made him feel important and made him feel like a worthwhile person. Jesus is asking him to lose all of that and to find his identity and importance in following Jesus. Give up all of those things and put your identity in following me. He left in grief because he had a loyalty to something that he could not give up. He was a slave to these things. And at least in this point in his life, we do not know the end of his story. But at least at this point in his life, he was not willing to step off the wide road and step onto the narrow road that leads to life. And so I want to give you an opportunity to sit in some quiet and silence and reflection today and to consider the way that Jesus responds to this man and how he might respond to you. If you ran up to Jesus and said to him, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? Notice that when Jesus looks at this man, that he saw him and he loved him. 
When Jesus addresses you, when he invites you into something, he's doing it only out of his love for you. Jesus also saw this man's particular need. He saw his particular idol. It wasn't a general thing that he was saying here. He saw this man's particular problem, the particular obstacle in his life, and he addressed it. What is the particular thing in your life that Jesus might address to you today in love and ask you to turn around, to to get rid of it in order to walk on the narrow road that leads to life? I just want you to take a minute to be quiet and to think about that question. Maybe you'd like to read through the story a little bit and even imagine yourself in this story. Jesus has just said this to this man, and maybe then Jesus turns to you and says what? What does he say that you need to give up in order to more fully commit yourself to him? Let's take a couple minutes to ask this question of our Lord today. God, as you have spoken to us today, I pray that we would respond to what you have to say and that you would give us your spirit strength to do it. Amen. Just a last couple of comments here. Um, Mark Twain once said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. I think this story bothers us, not because we don't understand it, but because we do. We understand what Jesus says in this passage, and we are quite uncomfortable with all of the implication that it has for our lives. This passage is not about whether or not money is good or bad. It's not about whether it's good or evil or how we should use it. The question is about eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer to that question is a word that all of us really hate. I've used it already today. It's the word surrender. Surrender the things in your life that you are holding on to that keeps you from wholehearted commitment to me. Surrender and follow me. I don't think that it's any coincidence that this story comes right after Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God and little children. Verse 13, the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. The rich young ruler is the opposite of a child. He's done well for himself. He is competent. He is able. He has provided for himself. He has authority. When, people, when he speaks, people listen to him and they follow him. This man was the opposite of childlike. If a child is needy, he was prosperous. If a child is dependent, this man was independent. If a child is unable to do very much on their own, this man was competent to do anything. And so Jesus says to this man, you must empty yourself in order to receive the kingdom and become like a little child. You are living upside down. You're living with yourself on the top. Your hands are filled with your own kingdom, with your own provision, with your own independence. If you want to receive the kingdom, you must receive it from God. And your hands are too full, rich young ruler, to receive anything. 
Your hands are full with your own accomplishments and your own doing. And this man goes away sad because he had lost all childlikeness. He had lost his spirit of dependency on God. And so this man had to learn that his eternal salvation was not something that he could do, but only something he could receive from God. So God, we ask today that you would help us to receive from you the salvation that you offer to us through surrender. Remind us today that all of the work to be done for our eternal life has already been accomplished through Jesus. So God, I pray that you would help us to receive what he has done and what he has given to us. I ask these things in his name. Amen.